Hi there, skating fans. Welcome to another edition of the Skate Canada Alumni Podcast. This month on the Alumni Blog, Debbie Wilkes visits with a champion, coach, choreographer, and visionary who many claim is the originator and architect for Canada's worldwide reputation as a leader in choreography and artistic expression. Sandra Bezik began her love for the sport at her local rink, learning to skate alongside her brother Val. The start of what would eventually become a Hall of Fame career which takes her around the world designing programs, shows, and concepts that have changed the face of skating. Let's join Sandra and Debbie for this month's adventure. Sandra, you've had such an exciting career. I don't even know where to begin, but <laughs> let's st let's start with the most recent success, which was the revival of Battle of the Blades. It is such a huge hit. Uh, everyone I speak to, they were riveted to it each week. How did the the revival come about? Well, um, I actually had nothing to do with it. Uh, CBC contacted us uh, in the early 2019, in January. And I guess, from what I understand, they had been looking for another project like Battle of the Blades. They kept looking for something like Battle of the Blades and finally decided that maybe they should go back to Battle of the Blades. And that was really quite fabulous. Um, so I was contacted in January and, and uh, they asked me if I was interested in reviving it with Insight Productions. And of course, you know, when an opportunity like that comes around, you have to agree. I mean, it's just, it's like it fell from the sky. Well, and it was something, too, that was really missed. I mean, I know as part of the skating community, all of us skating fans are always looking for anything that that revolves around skating. So we were all extremely disappointed when um, it had that hiatus for a bit. Well, yeah, and we were, I was always so grateful for the four years and for, for CBC stepping out to even try this in the first place and then staying with us for, 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 for four full seasons. And it's a really challenging show to produce. It's, it's um, an expensive show to produce. So we very much understood that um, they couldn't continue with us at the time. And I was grateful that we had gotten through four seasons that were relatively successful and, um, and I was ready to move on and I had packed it away, certainly packed it away in, in my mind and emotionally and, and it set it aside and that was that. Uh, we were, we were very proud of what it did for skating, um, and, and for sport, I think in general to kind of reveal the characters who are involved and, and what it takes, uh, the process, even if it's a, a process like a hockey player and a figure skater training every day. It's still a, a process that is, I think, interesting for the general public to watch and to understand and, and to get to know the personalities. 
Well, it's interesting because uh, I'm sure you'd agree, certainly when I was growing up, figure skating was kind of thought of as camel hair coats and tinsel, and that it it, uh, didn't really have the... Uh, respect, I uh, suppose is the right word, whereas hockey was Canada's sport. And so the whole idea of bringing those two iconic sports together and having these um, recognized hockey players talking about how difficult it was, I think brought a whole new level of credibility, um, even cachet to figure skating that perhaps we had not experienced before. Well, I think that what it did or what it does is that it helps us look at figure skaters as athletes. And, and often uh, for the general public, certainly the skating public and and, and Canadian audiences are, are, are very educated with figure skating, but there's still, I think, the image of sequins and glitz and, yeah. and that you get points for smiling, and that's not really what we're about. Of course uh, we're not. About, we're, exactly, and we're, we're athletes. We, we train as, as hard as every other sport, if not harder, and, and, and um, figure skaters, certainly pair skaters, are tough. And uh, I think this gave the general public a new insight. But also what, what we realized right from the beginning was that our demographic was quite different from the average figure skating audience where we were almost 40% male. They were uh, turning on to watch figure skating or, or this event, this Battle of the Blades sort of hybrid. Um, and through that process, began to understand what it took to figure skate. And also, uh, as you said, the hockey players who were all involved were all, every single one of them commenting on how difficult it was, how impressed they were with their partners, how dependent they were on their partners to to lead the way. And it really did um, break boundaries. Which was which we didn't we kind of didn't expect. I mean, we didn't really know what to expect when we started this series, and all sorts of things like that started happening that I think were a positive for for skating in Canada. Yeah, totally agree. And certainly, the hockey players were very generous in their. Um, statements, uh, uh, as you have said, about how difficult the sport is, how they appreciated the skills of their partners. And uh, certainly as a former paraskater, I'm not sure that I would have been um, as as daring do as I feel about things. I'm not sure I would have been particularly confident uh, trusting my uh life and limb with someone who wasn't fully trained. I know. <laughs> as a pair skater myself, Debbie, I've I've thought that as well. And uh these these partners, these these women and and men now, um really do put themselves out there. But what we've always said from the beginning, first of all um, there were there were, we had some basic principles going into this the series that we've always maintained and and one has been that the partner makes the final decision as to what is going to be 
accomplished or or not what's going to be attempted I should say or not so it really is up to them to decide how far they want to go technically Um, and 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 it it, it's all based on on technique of course but also uh, trust in in their hockey player partner the other thing that we've always done is we've made sure that they are surrounded by the best coaches the best choreographers and uh, and, and everyone is told from the beginning, do not take any chances, do not push beyond what you believe uh, everyone is capable of doing. It, not, none of this is, is worth uh, risking uh, to any great extent. Of course, every sport has risk, but we, we really want everybody to use their heads going into this and to be very, very careful. And we have set rules, for example, um, we, we simply will not allow traveling full extension rotational lifts um, uh, under any circumstance for, for uh, male hockey players. Uh, it's just not worth the risk. It, as yes. we all know, an edge could catch very easily and we just don't want to go there. So we, cert- we do have some, some rules that we've set in place and everybody honors those. But safety is paramount, and it is one thing where, from the beginning of training to the end of the last show, my, you know, my heart is in my throat because I'm always <laughs> worried about all of them on a daily basis. <laughs> of course. Sorry, my phone's going crazy here. Just give me a second. <laughs> it's okay. It's oh, good. Um, uh, I think that uh, from the producer's perspective, uh, any kind of presentation, this is just my opinion, but any kind of presentation has to have a, a certain amount of tension in, involved. And I think this was just the, the absolute perfect combination of stuff, uh, that sort of general broad overview of tension between sports figure skating and hockey, and then that kind of the growth of that tension. Um, people, unknown people skating with unknown, unknown to mm-hmm. each other. Uh, yeah. And yeah. what was that going to mean? And then how the tension that's involved trying to bridge the respective sports. I, I really thought that there was uh, a lot that came out of the whole concept that we would have never have imagined. And uh, what a terrific testament to uh, all of the athletes involved. And and I would think particularly from the hockey players' perspective, um, they're taught to be tough and um, not show emotion other than gutsiness. And certainly that was there in spades, but to see them move into the artistic end of things was I thought inspiring. How did you do that? Well, it 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 just kind of happened. Um, what what I love about the show is watching the players' journey, and it is it, it is a, it, it's a journey that goes from you know sticking their toe in the water to to see if if they can handle this technically and just skating beside another human being uh, and learning techniques, specific technique to evolving into portraying uh, emotion 
telling stories, learning choreography, working, getting, getting inspired by the music. And it, it's, it's so much fun to watch these players at first, only really thinking of their technique to then expressing themselves. And they get, as the weeks progress, they, they become more involved in the choreography, in the choice of music, in their costuming, and they begin to really have a voice. And they, they, they fall in love with that process. And sure. they begin to get what it is that moves us as skaters. Because skating can be what, what I've always found, and, and certainly as a choreographer over the years, skating can be whatever you want it to be. Uh, and it, it's as different things at different points in your life, too. You can be Kurt Browning and land the first quad in competition, but then you can also be, 20 years later, Kurt Browning, the artist and, and the entertainer. Uh, and, and so that whole range is kind of sitting there in front of them and they're and in a very finite period of time they go through this journey and exploration and it's fascinating to watch and and it they've all said pretty much every single player has has left the show saying how much this experience has changed them uh for those reasons because of the ability to express themselves uh artistically yeah and i guess um perhaps the discovery of skills and interests that they never knew they had. Well, right. And, and it, there's something that I've always said is that figure skaters and hockey players are essentially cut from the same cloth. We are all competitive beings. We, are, we all love to train. We all love to be coached. We all love a goal that we work towards. I mean, those are commonalities. And um, when those two... Uh, entities come together, the, the competitiveness, the, the uh, joy of the process, the, the work ethic, all of that comes to the surface. And it, it, for the NHL, for the retired players, um, they also miss their performance. They miss the locker room, the camaraderie, the the excitement and nerves before playing a game, all of that stuff. So all of that also comes back to them. But it's also familiar to them. It's 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 their happy place. So um they they love the idea of performing. It's completely different and they're completely they're they're frightened. They're so nervous. I mean many of them have said they're they're more nervous for these uh shows than than they've been in their entire careers as hockey players for you know the seventh game of the Stanley Cup. I'm not sure that's true, but that's what they've said. And um so all of that, just like all of us, it's it's really difficult to let it all go. It's really difficult to lose that whole side of of your life as you make those transitions and you know, as you get older and make those transitions. So I do understand that whole element as well. Well, let's let's cycle back to the very beginning of battle. I remember you and I having a couple of conversations when you were um, considering this idea and could it work, would it be of interest? Talk us through how that all started. 
Well, it, it actually started uh, in my living room and kitchen. Um, Kevin Albrecht and I were <laughs> watching Dancing with the Stars. This was years and years and years ago. This was probably about, uh, well, 2006-ish, when Dancing with the Stars had, was just starting as well. And on a rare occasion when he, he was watching it with me, um, he turned to me and said, do you think we could ever do this with figure skaters and hockey players? Wow. And I said, um, yes, as long as it isn't a gong show, as long as it has some kind of greater purpose. I can't imagine elite athletes wanting to do something like this and set themselves aside, set their lives aside for any length of time without it having a greater purpose. And so I suggested that, that the underlying purpose be charity. Um, and so we kind of looked at each other and thought, okay, well, there's an idea. Let's write it up. And I, I wrote it up and we, we took it to our um, friends at Insight Productions with whom we've produced many, many TV shows, all of Kurt's specials, um, uh, Stars on Ice when, when I was directing all those years. Um, so we, we had a real history with, with Insight and they certainly understood skating and they loved the idea. And uh, we took it to CBC who also loved the idea, but, felt they couldn't afford it and it took and I and we t we shopped it around CTV said we'll never get the hockey players um, <laughs> um, three years later CBC came back and um, said let's give it a try and we kind of all looked at each other and went uh oh <laughs> I guess we got to kind of put our money where our mouths are and um, Kevin was responsible for casting the hockey players. I was responsible for casting the figure skaters and off we went. And uh, Kevin's first approach was, um, well, there were, he, he, we made several approaches at the same time. I, I spoke with Kurt, uh, Kevin spoke with Ron McLean and Kevin's first hockey player he spoke with was Ty Domi. And um, I mean, you can imagine those conversations, right? You want to do <laughs> <Yes>. what? <laughs> I remember also speaking with Barb and Paul, um, you know, and telling them, and they're saying, you want to do what? And, uh, and then Ty, because of the charitable element, agreed. And really, he is responsible for the series happening, because without Ty, we wouldn't have, I don't think the door would have been open to so many other players. The next was Bob Probert, and, and then on it went. And that first season, our players, there we had amongst our players 16, um, 14 or 16 uh, Stanley Cup, you know, amongst the, the eight players, which was yeah. kind of incredible. And our female, our women, our, our figure skaters were extraordinary as well. And so we, we stepped in at that level uh, of athlete and then kind of you know let it all happen I remember the first time we we did a boot camp in the summer when we had a fair number of our our cast in place uh, and we we didn't know 
what was going to happen when we actually took to the ice and thought, you know, we better find out. So we'll do a boot camp and see how this goes. And all the skaters got on the ice, uh, the players in their hockey skates and the figure skaters jumped on. I remember Shaylin and, and uh, um, Barb Underhill and, and uh, you know, all these uh, incredible women sort of grabbing these guys' hands and saying, come on, let's go. And they just started skating and just skating, holding hands, whatever. And the smiles across everybody's faces on the ice because they, they were just, we all know that feeling when you step on the ice and you just start stroking around full speed, the joy that we all feel, that's what they were all feeling. And I remember turning up, I was standing on the ice with, um, Paul Martini and, and uh, Michael Sieber. And I looked up at uh, the Insight crew up in, in the stands and, and Kevin sitting up there. And we, we all just kind of nodded and went, yeah, you know what? This is going to happen. This is going to work. There's magic here. So um, that was the beginning. <laughs> well, magic for sure. And, you know, such a testament to the... Uh, incredible skills you have, Sandra, um, your vision about what things are possible and never, from my perspective, never allowing anyone else to define for you what should or should not be. And I think that that must go right back to the beginning of your career. How did you start skating? Oh, gosh. Uh, I, I don't remember not skating. I was three. My mother uh, was born in Huntsville, Ontario to immigrant parents. And uh, they were very, very poor. And her escape was, I think, going to the movies and, and watching Sonia Henney. And from a very young age, she fell in love with skating, with figure skating. And uh, couldn't afford it and dreamed of being a skater herself and um, skated with self-taught completely uh, as, as a young girl and as a teenager and never lost that love. And so the minute I was born, uh, you know, <laughs> she, put, <laughs> she put skates on my feet and yes. off I went. And we started, my brother and I, my brother... You know, we were a package deal. She, she sent us both to Michael Kirby Skating School <laughs> on Dundas yes. in, in Toronto. And he, he was um, uh, Sonia Henney's partner in many of the movies, actually. And he started these little skating clubs. They were little studio arenas uh, that, that were like, I, I don't know, how big were they? I mean, were you ever in one, Debbie? They were, no. they were like maybe like 60 by 100 feet um, the very tiny, uh, like blue line to blue line kind of size or even smaller. Mm-hmm. And there were these little schools all over the place that he had started. And, and that's where we started. And so I went there from the time I was three till seven, once a week, um, maybe more, I don't know. And I lived for the carnivals at the, the springtime carnivals. That was the highlight for me. <laughs> and then when I was, Seven, um, my mom wrote to the famous coach, Alan Burka, and asked if she would take on her 
her, her son and daughter. And uh, that's when we ended up at Lakeshore Skating Club. Uh, and uh, I, I also remember that, that first day, too, because I didn't really know that skating, I mean, uh, that skating rinks could be so big because we, we came from this little studio arena, and now we were in a full-size arena. And everybody was doing these circles on the ice when we arrived, and we didn't know what that was. Um, we had done it, but we had, never, we had never done figures. Right. And then Mrs. Burka, then there was the free skate. Mrs. Burka saw us standing there. I still call her Mrs. Burka. I will always call her Mrs. Burka, not Alan. And so she asked us to skate for her. And so we just stroked around and around in a circle and didn't do any tricks or anything, you know, our repertoire. Um, we just stroked around and... She turned to my mom and she said, is that it? Is that all they can do? (laughs) And that was the beginning of our relationship with Mrs. Burka. (laughs) Wonderful woman. Just wonderful. What was it about her that inspired you and Val? Um, You know, this is is a, a difficult question to answer. Um, she, her technique, her coaching technique was um, very negative. And so it, that was, it was very difficult for my brother. Um, it was a little bit easier for me because I was, I think, younger. And I had at an earlier age kind of a I'll show you attitude when she told me I couldn't do something. Then I would think to myself, I'll show you and go off and do it think that that technique doesn't work for um, teenagers, young teenagers, for everyone. Um, But what she did give, um, I think what, what she nurtured in me was my creativity. She loved that, that I wanted to be part of the process. She loved that um, I had a voice and that I could instinctively and that I wanted instinctively to move to the music. And she, she nurtured those things. And she also always knew her own limitations in terms of what she was able to, to coach as a technician. She sent us away every summer to Ron Ludington to learn pair skating. She would bring in different coaches to, um, expose us to different ideas. She was very open that way. Um, And then later on, when we were at the cricket club with her and her theater and ice programs, uh, um, really, I think, had an impact on me. Uh, It was perfectly natural for me to be in an environment where I was free to move to the music. And this is something that um, I was very, I am very grateful for, but also, I'm also very struck by, um, maybe not so recently, but a few years ago, I, w- I was working with young, young skaters at, at different seminars and that kind of thing. And I was really taken by the fact that they didn't instinctively just move to whatever music was playing on the ice. And um, it w- that, to me, was kind of sad um, that they, they didn't, that that hadn't been exposed to them, that if there's music playing, just move to it. 
find your own voice, find your own language. Uh, uh, there's that whole part of figure skating that was so vital to me and to, I think, many in my generation um, that sometimes can get lost when your nose is, you know, down working just working, 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 working on doing what you're being told, doing what you're being told. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and it, it, I think skating should be a pl- playground as well. Totally agree. And I, I think back to one of my first experiences um, watching Mrs. Burka. And it was because I was really good friends with Petra. And um, watching Ellen work in that crazy, zany, uh, over-the-top response to things and talking, <laughs> talking about the music. Listen to the yeah. music. <laughs> and I remember being really impressed by that. And yeah. looking back now with some hindsight, I realized that, that she was um, quite a groundbreaker in that attention to the artistic side of the sport. And certainly, yeah. I, I can appreciate the impact that that had for you. And which you oh, and Velma yeah. carried throughout your programs, too. Well, it just, it, it made so much, it was so normal for me. It just made sense. I couldn't imagine as a young child not stepping on the ice and expressing myself emotionally. I mean, that was my entire outlet. And I would dance to whatever piece of music I heard off the ice, on the ice, whatever, uh, if music was playing, I would figure out how to move to it. And, um, I, you know, I lived for, uh, I lived for the, the time of year where we would be choreographing our new programs. Uh, I lived for the artistic uh, competitions, you know, the interpretive competitions that happened in the summertime. All of those uh, opportunities to express myself meant so much to me. And then she, she brought in Brian Foley, who was a, 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 a dancer. She, she exposed us to different choreographers. We worked with Danielle Salier at the National Ballet. Um, and then um, Brian Foley was hugely impactful to our career. And he was somebody who, you know, when, when we were off um, creating our programs, I, I remember, distinctly remember at the cricket club, we would go into the little music room and then we would listen to the music and he would write out all the bar counts and, and structure the music um, so that we could see it visually. And off we would go to, to choreograph. And, and so all of that, that's where my education came from, working with um, all of these people who taught me how to express myself, taught me how to uh, understand music um, at such a young age. I mean, I was, I was 13, 14, 15. And, and so that, that um, clearly had an impact on my life. No kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the rules of, of music, uh, I remember being totally enchanted by understanding what a bar of music is and where the strong beat is and those kinds of details that began to define how you begin to develop a program. Um, yeah. A 
great learning experience. Um, let's let's move ahead. You and Val had such a successful career, Canadian champions, world team members. Uh, and then once you moved into the professional ranks, um, how did how did it all begin the choreographic side, your professional um, career as a choreographer? Well, um, another loaded question. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've been you know, saving ten, the good ten ones. years of my life flashed, flashed <laughs> in front of me, and I don't usually think about you know my competitive career and, and all of that. I was so young, uh, and by the time I was 17, uh, we had been Canadian champions for five years, and I was, I would say, burnt out, and, and I... I left the sport for several years, um, basically injured and burnt out and broken. Um, and it took me several years to kind of figure out my identity. Well, you know, I don't know if I ever <laughs> figured out my identity. <laughs> Do we ever but anyway, get there? <laughs> I, exactly. I know. <laughs> like I know what I'm talking about now, right? Um, so I gravitated back towards skating, and I felt I had something to offer, but I didn't. I didn't necessarily want to coach, but I I was intrigued by the idea of choreographing, and it was something obviously I had been exposed to, but I had never worked with a choreographer who was who was a figure skater. I mean, other than Mrs. Burke and you know that situation, no one who kind of called themselves a choreographer and, and but had a figure skating background and so I I kind of you know put my shingle on my door and contacted a few people and just a few coaches and just said this is what I'd like to try to do and if you have any students who you'd like programs for um, I'd love to help and one of the very first people who called me um, I'd probably been, you know, working kind of locally in clubs for under a year uh, or, you know, a season. Um, Louis Stong called me and he he said to me, would you like to work with Barbara Underhill and Paul Martini? They've just asked me to coach them and I don't want to do it by myself. Um, would you like to join us? <laughs> so, um, you know, talk about an incredible phone call. Of course, I jumped in and it was actually my comfort zone because it was pair skating and yeah. it was at an elite level, which I was way more comfortable with than working with beginners um, because it was a world I understood and it was fresh for me. So I said yes and immediately. And I remember the first day I saw Barb and Paul at, at um, um, I think it was Chesswood Arena. I, we, I went off to meet them and watched them skate. And of course, they, they were already Canadian champions and already incredible technicians. And that was our first day. And then off we went. And I learned so much. Not only working with Barb and Paul, we kind of grew up together, but from Lewis and Mary Jane, who took me under their wing 
and mentored me in such a generous way. And what an incredible uh, opportunity for me in, on, on so many levels. I, I can't thank them enough for what they gave me and, and what they taught me all those years, all those magical years. It was so incredible to work with them, to work with Barb and Paul, to work with all the skaters during that time at um, the Granite Club and, and Western Arena and all those um, incredible days, day in, day out, where I learned. I'm, I have to ask you, of all the programs you did for Barbie and Paul, do you have a favorite? <laughs> oh. Um, and it doesn't oh. necessarily have to be competitive stuff. Yeah. Well, um, it's hard to choose. Um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, competitively, certainly, I was I was proud of their final program, their Concerto and F, um, that they skated in in Ottawa, and where that all came together. Um, as professionals, we did a, a couple, I guess. I guess the two would be uh, when a man loves a woman. And, yeah, that's my favorite. Um, well, that I mean, and just the way that came about. So much of what makes me attached to certain programs is, is the process more than the result. And uh, Barb brought in the piece of music and was at the time falling in love with her now husband and said, we just have to skate to this piece of music. And um, we, ha we had so much fun making that because it, it was about, you know, kind of. True that. story. True story. Yeah. yeah. And then following up with that, um, Unchained Melody was another one that I, I am particularly attached to um, because it's that same story, but Later, it's that same couple, um, but now, you know, they're they're past the flirt, and now they're truly in love. And sort of the simplicity of the program, um, it just, uh, I felt kind of um, honored the respect that Barb and Paul have for each other. I mean, it's, it's all layered. When you do a piece of choreography, it has many meanings and it's layered with all sorts of thoughts. And along with that couple falling in love and, and, or being in love, it was always also about Barb and Paul and their uh, relationship and respect for each other and respect for the process. Because uh, um, it, it was always such a joy to work with them. I mean, they have an extraordinary relationship. They had an extraordinary working relationship. And to be a part of that was always um, an honor. Like, one was always aware of the greatness <laughs> when you were sharing the ice with them. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it, it makes me, um, I want to sort of say that there are <clears throat> many great uh, 
champions in our skating world, but there are few who change the sport or few who whose contribution, while maybe not in the form of world or Olympic titles, but they create some kind of force that is for, forever memorable beyond uh, a podium finish. And I would have to say that Barb and Paul are, for me, uh, two people that did that, I think, with your guidance and help and Lewis and Mary Jane's guidance and help. But of course, we, we have to talk about Kurt. We have to talk about uh, the great, his greatness, not just as a champion, but as uh, someone who changed the sport and not just because oh. of the first quad. We look at Stars on Ice, we look at the TV specials, and you were always there. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm a lucky girl. Um, he, I mean, can I tell you how much I love that man? He, <laughs> he is an extraordinary man. And to have been on, you know, our sort of life's journey, parallel um, journeys over all these years and the highs and the lows and the, 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 the personal um, journey sort of alongside that, that, that we've, um, I mean, it, he is a dear friend. Um, he is, um, we can go months and months and months without speaking and then just catch up where we left off and on we go. Uh, our working relationship on the ice has, I mean, nobody makes me laugh like Kurt makes me laugh. I mean, we're talking belly laughs uh, alone in the rink he will do something and I'm just, I'm just in tears. I'm laughing so hard uh, because he's just so funny and so um, fun to, to share the ice with. And he's, he's scary. He's challenging. I have to live up to his, his talent. You know, you, when you're on the ice with somebody like that, you, you just want to do good by them. You know, you just want to be good enough for them. Um, and we've, we've, um, been through a lot together and we just for battle for the final show in battle just um, made another uh, program that just the, uh, to share the ice with him and to experience that process with him where we both just dive into um, the essence of each move and analyze it and break it down and discuss it. And this is something, this has been a real evolution for Kurt too, because in the beginning he was just, not just, never just, he was spontaneous and kind of threw himself in the air without thinking and, you know, whatever happened, happened. And usually it was genius, but he didn't really know exactly how he got there. <laughs> he had such broad talent that he didn't really need to train. He didn't really need to think about it. It just kind of when he decided that he wanted to do something, like whether it was win worlds or land a quad, he would just do it. But then, of course, as you get older, your body doesn't always do as you ask it to do. And, and then I also think that um, the influence uh, in his marriage with, Sonia Rodriguez and, you know, a, a prima ballerina 
sort of that structure then became something that he began began to value. I mean, I, in the beginning, I used to yell and scream at him when he'd change steps, choreography. Um, and then as the years progressed, he would begin to understand that things get better when you don't change them and you allow them to grow and maybe evolve. But if you change them, you have to change them with thought, not just because that day you didn't feel like doing that. Um, so he learned, he learned discipline over the years and, um, and is as a performer, so incredibly disciplined now and as a, as a collaborator and, you know, in the process, he honors every single little nuance, every single little step and comes back and asks for notes and asks me to send him kind of break down what I'm thinking of and what each step is supposed to represent or each move or each whatever it is. And, and so to have that kind of process and experience with somebody who is so incredibly talented is just, you know, oh my God, <laughs> it, it, it's such a gift. Yeah. And I, I think having witnessed his career all these years, uh, not only was he a great champion, but he made all the rest of us better too. Yeah. I think yeah. what we expected, what we knew was possible yeah. and underneath all of that. And I think this is something that you have too, is a love for skating. I don't think you can ever just go out there and say, Oh, you know, I'm going to tick off these elements. It, it has to be something that is um, based on a story and all of it part of um, what makes you love this sport so much? Yeah, well, I think it's, it's loving the process. It's loving yeah. the day-to-day. The -day. That's, I think, the key um, for any great champion is to love the day-to-day, -day. not the glory, not the end result, not... I mean, yes, one can love the, 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 the performance, um, but it's the process, it's the day-to-day -day, uh, that is so, so important. And he loves the process. And when we meet now, he is as focused and disciplined as, as you know, he could ever be. And he cherishes it all. And I think, you know, maybe because he's older now, he knows that one day it will end. But... Um, or he'll he'll choose to stop, but right now he's just loving the process, um, and and I learned so much from that too. You know, just just um, losing yourself on the ice for those few hours when when you're working, um, because it, it's a different part of your brain that you use than you know when you're sitting in front of your computer and producing a show. Um, so I, you know, I cherish that time with him. And you keep re, I don't know if reinventing yourself is the right description, <laughs> but you, you keep, you keep um, creating these new, new ideas like 
Battle of the Blades, but but I know you travel around the world now producing shows for um, other skaters, other tours. Bring us up to date on that. Well, um, recently, um, I well, I, I'm actually just in the middle of, of d- directing with David Wilson, um, Javi uh, Fernandez's tour in Spain. We did it last year for the first time together. Uh, David brought me on board and, and uh, we're going back or we've, we've already done a month in November, several weeks in November um, for a show and we're going back in a week again. Um, which which has been really exciting because we we made a show for an audience that doesn't know skating at all, and that was a wonderful opportunity to kind of introduce skating and and all its different elements to this very sophisticated artistically audience. Um, certainly, um, they they know beautiful movement, beautiful music, beautiful architecture. And so we had the opportunity to make beautiful skating for them. And it was interesting to see what they respond to. Um, And David and I actually together made um, uh, Unikim's show in Korea in June as well, all that skate uh, in Seoul. So, um, and for me, I'd never actually never been to Korea and it, it, I always learn something when when I I'm experiencing what an audience, an unfamiliar audience to me, what what they respond to. And what's also been really great is that these how I mean these have been packed houses both both in Korea and in Spain. We're talking ten, twelve, fifteen thousand people for the shows, and wow. so it's it's a party, and it's so great to see audiences respond to figure skating that way. Uh, and all the, the full range of figure skating, particularly in Spain. I mean, last year when, I mean, Korea has, is, is a very educated audience because of Yuna, um, you know, what Yuna has brought to that country. They know they're skating. In Spain, they don't know they're skating. And they, um, uh, Yuka Sato was one of our skaters last year, and you know I'm, I'm, she may have done um, just a couple of jumps, but they really appreciated her glide. They they would you could hear their audible kind of sigh when she swept across the ice and and, and took a beautiful edge. You know how how Yuka does, and it was exciting that they recognized that quality. And yet, you know, there was also the Adagio pair with the, you know, bounce spins and Detroiters and all that slam bam stuff <laughs> that you know, obviously gets them excited as well. But they, they love the full spectrum. Uh, Jeff Buttle, they, they, um, his spins, his, his purity of edge, they went nuts for him. And isn't that great? that they were watching skating on a very pure level and not counting the number of rotations in the air. They didn't care. Um, They, they just love, they knew that they were watching quality. They recognized that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Before we wrap wrap up, um, I'd, I'd like to know what else is on your bucket list. 
<laughs> oh gosh. Um, well, I've got a few ideas that I've I've written up over the years, and and um, I don't know. I mean, you know, they're, they're show related. They're 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 different kinds of shows, live events um, that that I'd like. I'd like to, to pursue. I, I like um, scaring myself and trying to do something completely different, um, you know, whether that's a theater show or, you know, a, a different kind of touring show. Um, I would love those opportunities. It's, it's uh, really a challenge in North America right now because skating is um, not as popular as it, as it had been, in, you know, at different times um but you know i i, I don't know i mean <laughs> Debbie, I'm, I'm not sure i'd love to work i love being on the ice not necessarily to choreograph i mean that's for me a love hate it's really hard to get me on the ice of course when somebody like kurt calls i'm there but it really is hard for me because it's 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 gut wrenching always and it's nerve wracking always. And I'm always scared when I look at the blank ice and feel like I'm never going to have another idea. Sure. Um, but I, I love producing. I love um, executive producing, um, making shows, bringing talented people together, giving opportunity to other choreographers and other and skaters certainly um, to express themselves. I love collaborating. I love being in a room with with talent, with you know, with talented choreographers, um, lighting designers, uh, set designers. You know, bring all of that and bringing writers and bringing all of that together. That is that is definitely um, my happy place. So I hope I hope my phone continues to ring and um, and you know I hope that I have. Um, the uh, energy <laughs> to to pursue a few of my own ideas, um, you know, just the nerve. Of course, of course, I understand completely. But I can assure you that your history, despite the nerves, despite the fear, <laughs> I'm sure that it, every undertaking. Um, you invest in in the future will be just as successful as all the ones in the past. Thanks so much for being with us today, Sandra. Hearing about your amazing career and your philosophy behind the wonderful sport of skating and the people you have helped in such major ways is really inspiring for us all to hear. Thank you so much. Thank you, Debbie. It's it's a it's a pleasure and it's an honor to speak with you. My goodness, you've you've been instrumental in my career as well. I, I just with your support all of these years, right from when I was a child. So thank you. We've, we've had some good gabs, haven't we? We have. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks once again, Sandra. Thank you, Debbie. Today on the Alumni Blog, Hall of Famer Sandra Bezik shared her story about her vision, goals, and accomplishments in the world of skating and the living legacy they have produced, both in Canada and around the world. Till next time, I'm Alex Kilby. 
please feel free to join us online at alumni.skatecanada.ca where you can read additional blog posts or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss our next episode. You can also comment on today's story or any of the other tales that we tell online at alumni.skatecanada.ca.